For the fourth series of the Sandwar Stories podcasts, Multi-Story presents Going Green. Seven episodes by seven creators exploring stories connected to Sandwar's local green spaces. Through intergenerational conversations, insightful interviews, spooky tales and well-being walks, they explore how to engage with and appreciate the natural environment on your doorstep, including how to be eco-friendly as a family, how nature is reclaiming old industrial sites and the positive impact nature can have on your well-being. Plus, there's a new scary story based on local folklore. Our seven amazing local creators are Bally Barker, Amy Campbell, Brendan Hawthorne, Vicky Roden, Jamie Upton, Suzanne Spence and me, Grace Dorr. You are listening to episode five. Rowley knows fire and smoke and heat. It also knows patience and the passing of time. It knows the flow of ice and slow movements making the most difference. Its voice has been unchanged by the ages and its landscapes formed by the battles of gods. So, when a man, considering himself grand for a lineage stretching back mere centuries, a military career lasting a few decades and a freshly minted peerage thought he could bend this place to his profit, he found it not so simple as he thought. But, let's go back to the beginning to the events that forced him to care. Around the start of the 19th century, the area was riddled with mines. Before man walked on two legs, Rowley was a volcano, and the heat and weight at the heart of the hill turned the life that existed before it into thick seams of coal. So a pit was sunk, local workers employed, including an eight-year-old lad who, for it is a common enough name at the time, we'll call Jack. And Jack was terrified. Scared of the noise, scared of the rats, scared of the candle that kept sputtering and threatening to go out. Scared even more of the dark that seemed to press on in him for which the dim flame was his only defence. But he was scared most of all of Rawhead and Bloody Bones. They were the spirits that would get you in the dark. The ones who would capture you if you walked about the house at night who'd chew you up and spit you out if only they could get hold of you, who were said to have created the hailstone when they had a quarrel and threw boulders at each other out of spite. It was said that they made accidents and ate the candles. One time there'd been an accident at another pit, and those bodies they managed to retrieve looked like they'd been chewed by the devil himself, but old man said... The devil died at Dudley, died of despair at seeing fires hotter than hell. This was the work of Rawhead and Bloody Bones. The Naylor's kids used to run to the pit head and shout, Rawhead and Bloody Bones, Rawhead and Bloody Bones. And their jeers echoed around the mine, distorted and mocking. Mum just said they were jealous, 
making nothing helping with the piecework while Jack earned a real wage. And wasn't he proud to be bringing coin home, seeing the food on the table that he helped pay for? And when she said that, he was proud as proud. It might not be much, but it was summer, so when everything got too much and the dark seemed to press in, he thought about having an extra spoon of jam on the bread in the morning and drowning the potatoes in gravy and old Nan and her having the sugar for brewing and baking. And one day, sitting by his trap, he was so far away in thought he didn't notice the water that was usually a puddle creeping up. Didn't realise the mine was beginning to flood and that his numb and frozen feet weren't quick enough to carry him out, not until his reverie was broken by the mocking call, Raw head and bloody bones. He started and stumbled and knocked his candle off the post onto the ground and as all went dark he felt a hand on his shoulder, pulling him back into a dark that was deeper still. And that, it seemed was that for Jack. A few days later, in comfort and light and warm, Sir Horace was reading an account of this minor accident on his wife's family estate. Flooding was always a problem in the pits and this newly sunk shaft had gone a little too deep, a little too fast and had had a small flood. Just the one casualty, which seemed to be as blamable on the worker as the conditions, A child had panicked and drowned, so a guinea to the family seemed more than generous under the circumstances, and new pumping systems would be sought to make sure it didn't happen again. He was not a man given to flights of fancy, nor was he given to superstition, but after he'd signed the paperwork to make his orders happen, he had the oddest sensation of being observed, seeing something out of the corner of his eye in the reflections of the mirror, the window pane, even the case of his watch. He shrugged it off as getting older, having spent too much time in Parliament and being too long away from his wife. So he decided to return to visit his family in the Midlands, just to make sure everything went according to plan. Ever the politician, he knew the value of a timely visit, and the old soldier in him wanted eyes on the situation on the ground. The recent strikes in Wolverhampton, although unsuccessful, made him wary of giving the workers any excuse to express dissatisfaction with their lot, so he ordered his coach be made ready and prepared to make the long day's journey back. The day began uneventfully, although he found it unusually difficult to concentrate on the work he brought with him for the journey, finding himself uncharacteristically staring out of the window for hours at a time. When they stopped at an inn, he had a sudden craving for potatoes and gravy, and instead of washing it down with his usual claret, decided on a pint of the landlady's home-brewed beer. As the sun dropped below the horizon and stained the sky a thousand shades of orange and red, The uneasy feeling of being watched grew despite his being alone in the carriage. As the scarlet gave way to violet, he lit the candles and drew the carriage curtains against the oncoming inky blue night. He wasn't sure what time the carriage pulled to a sharp halt. He might have been dozing, but then the horses whinnied and he could hear the driver trying to calm them. Then he heard a strange voice say, Nice, Oscar, calm yourself, you're all right. 
before the doors either side of the carriage opened simultaneously. Two figures climbing in, one from each side, and then thumping the roof twice upon which the coach continued its journey. His first reaction was fury. The impudence! And as he began to cry, Now look here! He found his mouth stupidly hanging open with not a word being uttered. He was staring into the face of a nightmare. For he was staring at a head covered with not a scrap of skin. There was no blood, just a mass of tissues and tendons. And he could see the muscles tensing and twitching as the, could you call it a man, took in the glint of the candlelight on the fabric and the eyes rolled around in the sockets. The jaw hung slightly open, and despite the mouth being nothing but two grinning rows of teeth, the movement of the flesh on the cheeks looked like he was... smiling? He certainly seemed to be enjoying himself. Sir Horace looked at the other intruder and quickly wished that he hadn't. She at least had a face but seemed as grave as her compatriot seemed amused. She was studying Horace intently, and her flesh seemed grey as though drawn in pencil. Lifting her hand to rub her chin as if in thought, he saw it was missing all skin and flesh. It, it was just a collection of bones dripping red, and as she scratched her chin, she left smears of gore on her face which then seemed to soak back into the grey husk lending it a more natural colour for a moment before fading back You're Sir Horry St. Paul He nodded uncertainly He recovered enough of his senses to remember to close his mouth as the grey-faced woman leant towards him filling his nostrils with the iron tang of fresh blood Lord Yell. That's the name, ain't Raw. Why'd you name yourself after a dead man? I'd call that asking for bad luck. Her friend made something that could pass as a laugh, rasping and breathy. Let's do this proper. You don't know us, but we know you. He mate's called Rawhead. At this Rawhead tipped an imaginary hat to Sir Horace. And they call me Bloody Bones. Sure you can guess how I got that name. Rawhead collapsed into laughter once again. Horace finally recovered some semblance of spirit and replied, Well, that's all well and good, but what the devil do you want? The laughter stopped as abruptly as it had started. Both characters stared at the terrified baronet silently the sound of the horse's hooves echoing around the carriage. Then, Bloody Bone said slowly, Well, see, it's about the lad. And both turned their heads to the seat between them. Sitting there was a small boy, wet from head to toe, face smeared with coal dust, white patches beneath his eyes as though he's wet that part of his face clean. With a start, Horace recognised him as the half-seen face he'd seen in every reflection since he'd read about the accident. You see, you know him, 
but you don't know him. Raw had leaned back and tutted. Bloody Bones continued. You paid his family a shiny gold sovereign, which ain't much for a life. And now he's cursed you with his dying breath. Nothing you can do about it. It's a fair curse. And he'd done it in front of witnesses, namely me and him. And well, to be frank with you, Bloody Bones leaned forward and took the quivering lord's face in her damp claw, raw head chiming in like a grisly Greek chorus. We've been looking for a way to deal with one of you lot for a while now. Horace felt the slick wetness of the blooded fingers on his face and felt the bile rising in his throat. What do you mean, one of my lot? Bloody Bones let go of his face and sat up in her seat. You think this is what we are? You think this is what we're supposed to be? His face is stripped like he've stripped the lime and coal, my bones bare and bleeding like the ground where you tear away the trees to dig up the rag. All with no care, treating the people like equipment, like a pick or a truck. We were here long before you, and we'll be here long after you're gone. We know patience, mate. At this she broke off, smiling ruefully. Like I said, we can outlast you. We're patient like that. But don't mean we can't have a bit of fun while we're waiting. The curse stands. My mate, here, wants to chop off your head like your namesake. But I reckon... It was the boy that brought it on. So, if you want mercy, you need to ask him. Horace felt panic rise in his throat. I've, I've, I've done all I can. I've given the boy's family money, more money than they were due, and I'm installing a pump to make sure it doesn't happen again. The boy stared silently at Horace. Unblinking, unflinching. Horace began to garble. I'll get the best engineers, the best engine. It'll it'll be a triumph of engineering. I'll build an engine house that will be considered a marvel by this and all future generations and and, and no other boys will f- suffer your fate in my mind. Still he faced that unchanging, impassive gaze. Please, I try to be a good man. Why why must I be cursed when there are those who are so much worse than I? And after what felt like an eternity, the boy gestured to his companions, who leant close while he whispered to them. They sat up, stared at Horace, and bloody bones began. The boy's a good un touched his heart you did so you've got ten years so long as you do what you promise but know this you're going to lose what you care about power 
and you're going to give it up voluntarily because you think there's something better on the horizon and then you'll lose you'll be humiliated and you'll know what folly is and know this too we're taking it back all the slag apes, all the muck you've got a hundred years before it's gone your fine engine will be half a world away and the green will put down roots until it takes back everything it's a handful of heartbeats to us but you'll be long since dust that the green will sink its roots into and if more of your lot keep doing what you're doing Bloody Bones leant forward once again clutching Sir Horace's face with her bony hands The world will burn and all the people in it they will not be missed they will not be remembered and the green will root in their dust as well. At this, Rawhead cackled <laughs> maniacally before thumping the top of the coach twice, bringing it to a sudden stop. All the candles went out, leaving Sir Horace in the pitch dark with a thundering pulse and drenched in a cold sweat. And when his trembling fingers finally relit them, he found himself sitting alone in the coach. He began construction of his pumping station in 1831. In 1832, he gave up his safe seat in Parliament to stand for the newly created Dudley Ward. Despite his wife's connections, he barely scraped a vote. He died in 1840. The Newcomen engine, which powered the pumping house, was bought by the Ford Motor Company and installed in a museum in Michigan in 1930. The Cobbs Engine House was listed as a scheduled ancient monument in 1972 and Warrens Hall Park, where the shell of it still stands, was declared a nature reserve in 1996. But there is still one part of Bloody Bones prophecy still left. To come to pass. Thank you for listening to Raw Head and Bloody Bones, The Curse of Wind Will End, a new folk horror story based on Black Country Bogeymen, Raw Head and Bloody Bones their encounter with a local pit owner, and a curse laid upon him by a boy who died in his mine. Folk tales are always intrinsically linked with the areas in which they are set, and relate to the issues which concern the communities they're told by. Sandwell's industrial heritage is a basis for a wealth of stories, both cautionary and celebratory, which relate to the dangers of unchecked industry. A work of fiction based in fact... Curse of Windmill End uses this narrative tradition to highlight humanity's role as a recent and temporary resident of the planet, and acts as a cautionary tale against allowing the land to be exploited to line the pockets of a few. 
The curse is presented as having a tangible effect and being very much ongoing. The story is set at the Windmill End Mine in Rowley Regis and follows the circumstances of the building of the Cobbs Engine House, which now stands at Warrens Hall Nature Reserve, between Rowley and Dudley. Rawhead and Bloody Bones was written and recorded by Vicky Roden, and Bloody Bones was brought to life by the incredible Crescentia Spence. Thank you for listening. The Sandor Stories podcasts were created during a 12-week training course delivered by Multistory from December 2022 to March 2023. Thanks to all the creators and those they interviewed, and to Gabby Songe, the project coordinator, Marley Starsky-Butler, the production assistant, and Becky Sexton, project manager at Multistory. Multistory is a community arts organisation based in Sandra. Find out more at multistory.org.uk.